have a seat. Um, all right, as I get as I get set up here, uh, anyone anyone new? I know there's at least one new person because I met him. Uh, anyone new? Danny, where are you? Because I did meet you. All right, Danny, someone, because I saw your hand. I'm sorry. You There's something in the back for you. Uh, there's no way I'm going to be able to get this to you, Danny. I'm sorry. The ceiling. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. That's all right. Hey, I think you got him, though. That's good. Um, all right, what's up, guys? My name is Colin. Uh, if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you. I'm on staff here with Salt Company, and I love... I love the University of Minnesota. Um, I uh, was a student here, I, or I was was a student at the at the U. Graduated a few years back, and just love the Gophers. So, um, yeah, come on. You guys, you guys can get amped. That's good. Um, sorry, I'm just getting my my timer started. Uh, so we are jumping into a new series tonight, and. I'm really pumped about this series because I think it'll teach you guys just like something that, that's beautiful. So we're starting this series in the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is in the mid of your, middle of your Bible, and it's this collection of songs and poems and just cries out to God. And so as we look at Psalms, we're, we're going to look at four. Over the next four weeks, we're not going to look at all of them. It's one of the biggest books in your Bible has the most chapters, 150 chapters, so we're just going to look at four, but as I was thinking about this series, we were, we were thinking about it, and we're, we're just, man, we live in a culture that wants more, right, like, our culture tells you, hey, you should want more money, you should want more friends, you should want more recognition, you should want more power, you should want more more, more, you should do more, you should save more, you should be more. What I want you guys to know is that more of something, wanting more of something isn't the problem. It's that our culture, and probably some of you here, just want more of the wrong things. So in this series, we're going to look at four things that we should rightly long for more of, rightly want more of. And so tonight we're going to start the series in the book of Psalms near the end of the Psalms. So Psalm 145 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible, would you take it out? Uh, if you're new to your Bible, open it up in the middle and you're going to be really close to the Psalms. And then 145 is near the end. Um, as you turn there, have you guys ever asked the question, what, what was I created for? So some of you are walking in, you're probably thinking, man, I don't even know if I was created. Fine. I'll give you that. Why do you exist? Why do you exist? Are you a collection of atoms? Are you some cog in, in the machine of this evolving earth that, that your job is to help the human race survive? Do you exist for an economic purpose? Do you exist for a sociological purpose, uh, some sort of self-assigned purpose? Or do you think you exist for something else? Something that matters a little more. I think every human wants to know the answer to this question. What was I made for? What was I created to do? That's why you guys go to school. 
That's why people change majors. Because they're just trying to figure it out. What, what am I good at? What, what was I made for? That's maybe why you're at Salt Company tonight. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to answer the question, what was I made for? That's why people do crazy things and die for crazy things. Because they're, they're dying to ask this question. Or to answer this question, what was I made for? Why do I exist? And tonight we're going to look, we're going to study a psalm written by a king who had everything. A king had everything. We're going to come back to that. But we're going to get a window into his purpose. And when we get a window into his purpose, I think we might just get a window into our purpose. And so uh, if you're new to Soul Company, we're going to do something different than we normally do. So Psalm 145, we don't always do this, but I'm going to ask everyone here to stand up. And, and would you guys just stand as I read Psalm 145? So here's why I'm having you stand up. We're going to get to this later, but would you guys posture your bodies? Like when you stand up, you're, you're paying attention a little more. So would you posture your bodies at, to, to gain the attention of God's word? Okay, this is Psalm 145. This is what it says. You can follow along if you have a Bible. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is, gr is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All right, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you for doing that. Um, again, we're going to come back to this idea of I think how we posture our bodies, specifically in settings like this, can actually help us uh, do what we were created to do. So as we kind of come back to this idea of this poem, what is a poem about God from a king written thousands of years ago have to do with what you were made for? See, King David, the one who wrote this psalm, is just stating things about God. He's just telling you what God is like. Why does that matter to you? Well, what if you were made? What if you were created to know who God is and acknowledge all of his beauty? To not only know who God is, but acknowledge and live under who he is. What if you were made to worship God? Like that, that was what you were created for, was to be a worshiper of God. So what is worship? What does it mean to worship? Is it singing songs? What, what do you mean, Colin, I was made to worship? Well, the things that we worship are the things that we assign supreme value to. So what if you were made to see God as most valuable? But here's the thing is whether you know it or not, if it's God or something else, you assign supreme value to something else. 
you assign supreme value to something. There's something that you aspire to be, aspire to obtain, to associate with, that drives your actions, your words, and your desires. There is something that you have assigned supreme value to. So my question for you all is, what do you worship? You've all assigned supreme value to something. You all worship something. What is it? In the book of Exodus, which is a a book earlier in your Bible, this idea of worship is contrasted between the God of the Bible and this golden calf. This calf, like, statue that's made out of gold. And I I think some of you, maybe you're familiar with that story, maybe you're not. But I think a lot of us read stories like that and we say, well, I don't, I don't worship a golden statue. Uh, and frankly, there like aren't that many statues just in general around the University of Minnesota. And probably in your apartments and houses, unless there are, in which case, that's super weird. Um, and you probably shouldn't do that. Uh, but anyway, but I think we, we look at it as like, okay, I don't. I don't worship a statue or this golden calf or this God that I, I like can see and, and, and touch. So therefore, I must worship the God of the Bible if those are the only two options. But they're not the only two options. So again, I'm going to ask, what do you assign supreme value to? Is it a titanium, iron, and aluminum box designed by someone out in California? Is that what you assign supreme value to? Is it a number determined by how many people view your online presence? Is that what you assign supreme value to? Is it the approval of some guy or some girl that you met two weeks ago or maybe two minutes ago? Is is it a letter given to you from a professor? Is it a job title? at a company that hasn't even been created yet? Is that what you assign supreme value to? Is it the number of commas that you see when you look at your bank account? Is that what you assign supreme value to? Maybe you're feeling like, man, I care about one or two of those things. Like, I'm on Instagram. I care about my Instagram. I I think money's a good thing. Like, I care about those things. But how do I know if, like, that's what I supreme assign supreme value to? How do I know if that's what I worship? Well, let me ask you a few more questions. What what drives your emotions, your security, your time, your joy? Where do you think those things will come from? Are you more glad when you get paid than when you show up at Connect Group? Do you study your schoolwork with the same dedication that you study God's word? What do you assign supreme value to? What do you worship? Are your actions driven more by your next post that people will see or by the next person you might have the opportunity to share the gospel with? What do you assign supreme value to? Are you as zealous about obedience to God as you are about the job that you want to get? Do you find more rest in the approval of some guy or some girl or the approval of the king? What do you 
worship. And maybe you show up to Soul Company and you sing songs and you say, man, I am a worshiper, but I think we need to take seriously the words of Jesus in Matthew 15. This is what it says. This is what Jesus himself said. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. You see, there's a difference between knowing God, even knowing things about God, and acknowledging that, yes, he is God. That he actually isn't just someone I sing songs to, but someone who's worthy of the praise that comes from my lips. Here's, here's how I thought about this a little bit. You guys know when you're growing up and you get into a fight with your parents, you're like in elementary school, let's say, you get into a fight with your parents and you say to, maybe you say to your mom as you're walking out the door to school and you're like, mom, I hate you. Like, I don't even want you to be your, my mom anymore. And then later on in the day, your teachers ask you like, oh, hey, who's your mom? And you like, don't think about it. You're like, oh, you know, Susie, obviously, my mom, Susie. And then you come home and you say, Mom, I, like, don't want you to be my mom anymore. I, like, don't care what you say. I'm not going to listen to you. I hate you. Okay, what are you doing? You actually know who your mom is. You're really familiar with your mom. You can answer the question, who is my mom? But what, what's true of you in that moment is that you are not acknowledging the authority and the position that your mom holds in your life. You're acknowledging who she is, but rejecting her authority. Here's what I'm saying. We've probably all done that with our parents, and I think a lot of us do that with God. God, I know who you are, but I'm going to reject the authority, and I'm going to reject the fact that, that you are deserving of my worship and deserving of my life. And we need, we need to repent of this. Like, we need to turn from our knowing who God is without rightly acknowledging who he is. We need, to, we need to change that. Like James, in the book of James, says that demons believe in God. They just don't want to fall under his authority. They don't want to worship him. They don't want him to be supremely valuable in their life. They know who God is. They just don't want him to be valuable. But we have to refuse to settle for mere belief in God when a life of worship is offered to us. When a life of worship is offered to us that's exemplified in David. Let's look back at Psalm 145, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever and ever. So extol, it means to exalt or to lift high. David's saying, I'm going to lift high God's name. I'm going to make him famous. And then I'm going to bless him. I'm going to kneel before him and acknowledge him for who he is. Because he rightly rules over my life. Now what does David go on to say? He says, Every day I will bless you. 
that translates to either every day, but it can also translate to all the time. At every moment, I will bless your name forever and ever. David's saying worship is not something you go to. It's not an event on your calendar. It's something you're constantly doing. It's a posture of your heart. It's a way of life that you walk in. Paul communicates the same idea in Romans 12. This is what he says. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, which here's what he's referring to when he says, therefore. He says, I appeal to you, all the good news of Jesus that I have just shared with you in Romans 1 through 11. The good news that Jesus has come for you. This is what he says. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What's Paul saying? In light of all Jesus Christ has done for you, your life is to be worshipped, and the tool through which you worship is your body. That everything we are and everything we do should contribute to this idea of being a worshiper of God. So is this the way you worship God? Do you worship God with your whole life, with all of your being? Do you worship Him? Do you worship Him daily? Do you live your life so that someone from the outside could say, man, you have seen and tasted the goodness of God's character. You have drank from from the deep well of all of who he is, and it just flows out of you. You're a worshiper of God. Or do you live your life a lot like others at the University of Minnesota? Where you don't acknowledge the authority God has. You don't worship him. You worship all these other things. Go back, Romans 12, let's go back to what he says. It, it's, it says, live your lives holy. Holy, that word means set apart. So as worshipers of God, we are to live our lives set apart from others. Our lives should look vastly different from the world around us. Guys, what do people at the University of Minnesota worship? They worship like the craziest things. We've covered some of them. Money, jobs. And guys, we have some, we got some athletes in the room. I love you guys. You guys are like so much better at sports than I ever was. And good for you. But guys, oh my gosh. We worship like other college students who throw balls really well. Like, again, I love athletes. I love you guys. You guys are incredible. But like human beings, they're like human beings. We worship these people and we don't worship or acknowledge the God of the universe that holds the world in his hands. That's crazy. As the world around us lives in a self-exalting culture, would this room be a God-exalting culture? Like, what if this room was just decided to be different from the world around us and 
to just delight in the things of God. To delight and love and be consumed, be wrapped up in the things of God. Because he's worthy of it. Okay, time to get super practical. So if you're a note taker, maybe take out notes. If you're not, that's fine. Uh, But how do we worship God in everyday life? I'm going to go kind of quickly, so um, just try to hang with me. First one, Wednesday nights. Like, you guys are here. Awesome. Let's go. Praise the Lord. You worship. Wednesday nights matter because worship matters. We worship on Wednesday nights. I want to just acknowledge that. Sunday mornings matter. So if you guys aren't a part of a local church, we'd invite you to, to be a part of Salt City. That's the local church that we're a part of because it matters, because worship matters, and we worship as a gathered people. Why do we sing? Like, let's just acknowledge the most obvious thing about worship. We call worship singing. So that is worship. The Bible talks about, like, lifting a joyful noise to the Lord. Some of you don't like singing and maybe don't like other people singing around you. Here's what I have to say to you. Um, I'm trying to say this nicely. Get over it because Christianity is like a religion of singing, a religion of joy. And it's not just me. I know it's you guys too, but there's something that music does to us, right? Like there's something music does that brings out an emotion, a a feeling, like it, it stirs something in us. Why? Maybe it's because God created it that way. Maybe it's because God actually wants us to sing songs to him. Side note, guys, if you guys are gifted in areas of, like, music, singing, tech, whatever, uh, will you guys just audition, talk to Nate? Like, this is, this is the best pitch I have for you. Help us worship. Help me worship. Because, like, it matters to me that I get to sing and proclaim and praise the name of Jesus when I show up to Soul Company on Wednesdays. It really does matter to me. And so I just invite you, like, if you're talented, if God's gifted you in that area, would you try out? That'd be awesome. Um, anyways, that was a side note. But, guys, worship is actually about God. Like, that's what it's about. We're intentional with the songs that we pick here at Soul Company. Why? Because we want the words that come out of your mouth to actually be the posture of your heart. Like when we say we want to lift high the name of Jesus, that is what we do when we sing songs. We lift high the God of the Bible and we say he is worthy of the words that come from my lips. But more than that, he is worthy of my life. And it's encouraging to see people around you worship. Like a room full of 300 college students singing the name of Jesus does something to my soul. It really does. I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful you guys show up and lift high the name of Jesus because it encourages my soul every week. We want you guys to be eager to declare what's true about God. So kind of... um, add on to that, maybe you're new to Salt Company, and you're sitting in the back, and you're like, okay, music's cool, you guys got a good word, like, band, that's awesome, people sing along, 
kind of concerty, kind of not. You put the lyrics on the screen, a little odd. But why the heck do people like lift their hands? That's weird. Okay, I want to give you just two quick reasons why people might lift their hands. One, why I lift my hands. First one is it is just an overflow of what I'm feeling in my heart that it's like it actually helps me to like give an outlet to all I'm feeling of who God is when I put my hands up and say yes. Like that is true of who God is. It's an overflow. It helps me worship. Here's another reason. I don't always feel it when I show up on Wednesday. And I'm guessing a lot of you are in that boat. It's a hard week. You're just not feeling it. You know you should come, so you do show up, but you're just kind of dragging your feet. So why do I lift my hands like that? Am I, am I a hypocrite when I do that? No, because it postures my body in a way that how I should have my heart be postured, which actually helps. So with my body, I'm going to posture myself in a way how I should be feeling. That's why I had you guys stand up when we read Psalm 145. Why? Maybe you were feeling it. Maybe you rolled your eyes. But I actually want you guys to stand at attention to God's word. To respect it. I think it's easy when you're sitting down to kind of let it go in one ear and out the other. But I wanted you to hear God's word. How we posture our bodies matters to how we posture our hearts. All right. Keep going. Rapid fire. Uh, Music is one thing we do on Wednesday nights. Not the only thing we do on Wednesday nights. We also teach. We teach from God's word. And you're like, okay, yes, music is for worship. Teaching is for my intelligence. Yes, I want you to learn things from our messages. I want you guys to take things and apply them to your life, but I also want you to worship during the messages. I want our messages to stir your hearts for Jesus. When we say things that are true of God, I hope that's like, yeah, that's like, I want to believe that. Even if I don't fully right now, I want to believe that. So we both want your minds to be captivated, but we also want your hearts to be stirred. Another side note, really quickly. want to give you guys permission, formally, from the stage, to say, uh, in reason, amen, during messages. Like, if it's Drake, if it's Austin, if it's myself, here's why. Not because it's cool, not because it's like, oh, it's all about, like, it's all about the hype. No, here's what the word amen means. The word amen means truly. Yes. I agree with that. And in the Old Testament, seven times where the word amen is used, it, it's referring to worship and praise. So when Drake's teaching and he says something that's true of God, where he's like, man, God has ransomed you so that you can be brought into the family of God, you can say, amen. Come on. Okay, so keep that, keep that within reason. Don't be distracting about it. But here's, here's why I say that. Here's why I want to help you guys do that. Because I think there are some of you in the room that that will actually help you worship during messages. Instead of just being like, oh, yeah, you can say like, oh, man, I just heard that's true of God. Amen. I want to agree with that. I, and even if I don't feel it, I'm going to say it because I want to posture my heart in a way that agrees with what was just said. Okay. Wednesday nights. Also, community. It matters that we gather together and not just all individually. Connection group. It matters that you gather together. Why? Because other people can help stir your hearts for Jesus. So would you be the person that in a group of people is pushing people towards the things of God, not away from them? 
Would you push conversation towards worship of God, not towards worship of other things? All right. So that's how we worship God on Wednesday nights. But it's like, okay, that's one couple-hour chunk of my week. How do I worship God in more general life? And I, I hope to help you guys in the next couple minutes. But here's what I want to say to you, too. This is the question you will spend the rest of your life answering. How do I worship God in my life? How do I worship God in the everyday, mundane, day-to-day stuff? So I hope to help you now, but would you, I would challenge you to ask this question of yourself. Okay, first one. Guys, you guys, school, do you guys understand what a privilege it is to go to, like, when you take the scope of the whole world, one of the best institutions? And some of you are like, man, I worked really hard to get here, and I'm sure you did. And some of you are incredibly intelligent, way more intelligent than I ever was or ever will be and some of you have worked hard to earn scholarships and others of you are working hard to get your way through school and like that's awesome I want to commend you guys for that but I also want to say that is an incredible gift from God all of those things the scholarships gift from God your intelligence gift from God the ability to work hard to pay to put yourself through school gift from God So every time you show up to a class, you can say, God, thank you for this incredible opportunity that I have to learn and to grow as a student. All right, I'm going to be unpopular for a second, which is is fine. Um, How do you worship as a student? What if you just refused to speak poorly of your professor? Like when everyone else walks out of the classroom and they're like, yeah, that professor stinks. That assignment's so unfair. Can you believe she did that? And you're just like, keep your mouth shut. What if you showed up to class, sat in the front row, middle of the classroom, and paid attention for the glory of God? I bet God would be honored by that. I really do. I bet God would be honored by you stewarding the opportunity to be a student really well. Don't complain about group projects. Show grace to your teacher. Show grace to other people on your group projects. Okay, I say all that while also not idolizing school. It's possible to be a student at the University of Minnesota and love your schoolwork so much that you would lose your soul in the process. So dedicate a few hours a week to each of your classes Do your homework in those few hours, and whatever studying and whatever extra work doesn't get done in those few hours, let it go. Just let it go. Dedicate, work hard during those hours, but let the rest go. Also, side note, got a bad way to worship God. Hey, connection group, sorry, lots of homework tonight, can't come. Bad way to worship God. I'm just going to level with you. Just commit commit to your connection group. Leaders. We're going just leaders. It's a bad way to be a leader. Or it's a bad way to worship God on leadership. Hey, can't come to my leader commitment that I committed to at the beginning of the year. Got to do homework. Okay. Worship God. Guys. I'm going to be quick. Be kind to your coworkers. Be kind to your bosses. Share the gospel quickly. View intramurals as a gift from God that you can worship him when you're laughing with your friends, playing basketball. Like, that's awesome. 
when you're reading a good book that you love by yourself, maybe you're an introvert, worship God, he's given you that gift, eat good food, and just say like, Jesus, you didn't have to make food taste like this, and for it to satisfy my stomach the way it does, but you did, thank you, you are so good to me. You can actually worship God and eat good food. Here's what I'm saying. God does care about your spiritual life. God does care that you show up to Salt Company on Wednesdays, but God also cares about the everyday aspects of your life. God cares about how you show up to class as a student. God cares about how you interact with your friends. God, for the athletes in the room, I kind of dogged on you, kind of didn't. Like, God cares. God cares about the performance that you have on the field or on the ice. God cares. Because God isn't just a God of your spiritual life. God is the God of your life. So he cares how you view those things. So my question for you is, how will you worship him? How will you worship him? Two things you can take from it. Just decide what two things you can take from that. Start implementing them in your life. But here's what I want you to know, is that worship is not a zero-sum game. It's not worship God or not worship. It's worship God or worship something else. And our flesh is so prone to fall back into these ways of worshiping other things that if we're not intentional about worshiping the God of the Bible, we're going to end up worshiping these lesser things and waste our life in the process. I say that because I love you. Not because I want to be harsh with you, because the life of worshiping the God of the Bible is the best life. It's the most beautiful life. So I would be a fool to let you waste your life worshiping all these lesser things if I didn't call you to, to the most beautiful life possible, which is seeing God for who he is and saying, yes, amen. I want to give my life to that, to the worship of that God, because worshiping any other thing is a lesser life. I'd be a fool to be up here and let you guys live a lesser life. Guys, my biggest fear, could I get eyes? I was, I was, I was just telling the staff this before. Here's my biggest fear. My biggest fear is that you guys come to Salt Company for four years, and you have your head full of knowledge of God, and your heart is empty of affection for him. That your lips would sing songs that tell you true things about God, but that you wouldn't believe the words that come out of your mouth that your head would be full, that your heart would be empty, that you'd settle for worship being something on your calendar and not a rhythm of your life. I don't want that for you, God. God's so much bigger than that. So guys, think about the grand canyon. No one, uh, except I learned literally right before this, this is not a joke. Right before this, I learned that my guy Harry was not, is the only person I know of to go to the Grand Canyon and not be like, oh my gosh, this is better than pictures. I literally talked to him before, and he's like, yeah, the picture was better. Crazy. That, that's just wild. Um, but what's true? You go to the Grand Canyon, you're like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. We stand in awe of the Grand Canyon, guys. What if the Grand Canyon was just a window into the beauty of God? Think of the galaxy. Like, think of outer space. That stuff blows my mind. But scientists that are way smarter than, than me, like, still haven't grasped just how big outer space is. Guys, what if the galaxies were a picture of the vastness of God? Just a picture. Oxygen. Unless you're underwater, which we are the land of 10,000 lakes, it is hard in Minnesota to get to a place where you can't find oxygen. Pretty flat state, I'm not going to lie. It's Everywhere you go, there's oxygen. Guys, what if oxygen was an illustration of the nearness of God? You can't escape being close to him. 
this is who God is. There's this taste of all who he is. God is so much grander than you could have ever imagined. And I don't want you to settle for, for these small views of God that turn out to just a small view of your life. I want you to have a big view of God because when you have a big view of God, you'll have a big view of your life. When you have a big view of your life, you'll see just what you were made for. You can spend every day for the rest of your life digging into the beauty of who God is and you just be scratching the surface. So I want to invite the band back up as we, as we close. But I want you guys just to think about King David. King David, in the ancient Near East, kings were not just kings, but rulers and, and gods. And this, this man who's worshipped as God says, says this, on the glorious splendor of your majesty, that's the God of the Bible, on his majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. You see, the king who people would have been tempted to worship was actually a worshiper of the most high God. And, and the Bible is full of stories and testimonies and songs written to the only God who is worthy of our worship. Does your life attest to the same reality? That's my question. So last thing about Psalm 145. Psalm 145 is, um, is what's called an alphabetical psalm. So the way David wrote it is he started each line with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, start to finish. And he did this because this psalm was meant to declare things that are true of God, but this psalm was also meant to communicate something beautiful, beautifully. It mattered to God that it was beautiful. It mattered to God that it was had, had a melody and was sung. Its intent was to communicate words, but its intent, like music often does, was, was to stir our hearts for worship. So that's my prayer for you guys, is that you would begin to see more of who God is and that that would stir your hearts for his worthiness and his fullness. That you would leave this place more in awe of who he is. So here's how we're going to wrap up. I want you to know God more. I want you to know his characteristics. I want you to know what he's like. Because here's why. Because that will ultimately stir your hearts for worship. So here's what's true. Here's who God is. God is A. He's the author. He's the one writing his story of glory into the world and into this place. He is the beautiful. He captivates the hearts of those who see him. He is C, creator. He gave breath to all living things and sustains the world by his word. He is the divine. He is God. And even when he put on human flesh, he was fully God. He is e eternal. He formed the beginning and will outlast all of eternity. He is F faithful. He's true to his word and will always come through. He is G glorious. He's magnificent. And his presence is weighty. He's H holy. He's not like us. He's utterly set apart. He is I, impeccable. He's without flaw in action or intention. He is perfect. He is J, just. He's the ultimate fair judge. He is K, king. He's the ruler of a better kingdom. He is L, loving. He cares far more deeply for you than your family or your closest friends.
friend. He is M, merciful. He withholds the, the judgment that we rightly deserve. He is N, near. He'll never leave those who love him. He is O, omniscient. He knows everything. He is P, patient. God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is who God is. He is Q, qualified. He has every right to be your God. You guys can say amen. It's okay. He is our redeemer. He's the one who saves your soul. He is F, sovereign. He's the one who holds all authority. He is T, trinity. He is three in one, father, son, and spirit. He is you, unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is V, voracious. He's the standard of truth. He is W, he is worthy. He's deserving of our shouts of praise. He is E, I had to, or he is X, I had to work a little bit for this one. He is excellent. All his ways are right and good. You try to come up with an X adjective, it's tough. He is Y, yearning. He longs for your soul and he is Z, zealous. God is zealous for you. He is passionate for you. And there's no place that this is displayed more prominently than the cross of Jesus where the God who is all of these things walked to Calvary for your soul. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Notice how I did not say he is dead, but I could have said he's alive. I could have said he's risen. I could have said he's victorious because this is who God is. God is worthy of our worship. And so would you guys stand and declare with your mouth that this God is worthy of our worship and worthy of our lives. <laughs> 